Episode 259, The Rant, Scott Birkins, Women's Division I Collegiate Basketball Official and Getting Adjusted with a Newborn During a Pandemic. Scott Birkins is an official's official. In this pod, we discuss his early life watching his father umpire baseball, his first experience calling balls and strikes, his brief stint refing ice hockey, his ascension in collegiate basketball, and what it's like having a newborn during the age of coronavirus. All that and more, my conversation with Scott now. The Rant has been brought to you by Geo Studios, now open. They are located one block south of Westbury Train Station in the heart of Long Island, New York. Looking to bring your art or event to life? Trying to record a podcast? Enjoy six rooms of studio space to create audio and visual content. It also includes an 800-square-foot cyclorama wall studio, a state-of-the-art recording studio, three breakout rooms for four to six people each, which include a green room and lounges, a quality surround sound with six speakers and studio lighting, and most importantly, two on-site restrooms. You know I need my restrooms. Book your space today. For more information, find us at geoevents.com. The Rant has been brought to you by The Irrefutable Magazine. Co-editor in design Kevin Sparrick and co-editor at large Ralph Fernolis decided to combine both of their talents in writing and illustrations to bring to you a new online experience from an official's perspective. They both ref, but it's deeper than officiating. They create art for all time. Do you think your brand would be a good fit for the Irrefutable Magazine audience? Want to advertise with us? Visit us at theirrefutable.com slash sponsors for more information. We are the Irrefutable. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a super special guest by way of New Jersey on the phone right now in the hot seat. Uh, Division two and as well as the multiple conferences in Division one, NCAA women's basketball official, Scott Birkins. How are you, my friend? What's up, Ralph? How's everything? Thanks for having me. Everything is good, man. I, we appreciate having you. Just to really reiterate, I do remember sharing a moment with you I want to say three or four years ago at the Magbo camp. And I remember this was when I was still kind of new with the three person system and also just trying to get my feet wet because I was a little bit confused with the boys and women's. So I think when you go back and forth and, and you're trying to get all of those squared away on top of all of the observers watching you, I remember there was this moment when I was in the lead and you were right next to me and you just kind of came out of nowhere. You're like, why don't you get wider right there? That way you could see all the rebounds. And I was like, you know what? I never forgot that. And I think those were one of those pivotal moments that, you know, when you get those little nurturing and you get those little tidbits from people that have done it before you, um, it only makes you a better official. So I thank you for that particular moment. And nonetheless, welcome to the show. Glad to help. And thank you. I'm glad to be a part of this. I truly love what you're doing with, with this podcast and, and the website. And I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it. And I support every anything that has to do with promoting officiating. It's a great thing. I appreciate that, man. And we were just talking off air about the uneasiness that's happening, especially in the Northeast. I think that Governor Murphy and Governor Cuomo has done a great job, especially like from the beginning of the pandemic when everything was completely all over the place. We've really turned the tide. And, you know, I didn't mention this to you, but I think we're in such a weird place because we've had the infection rate so low that it's like I, I think it's kind of hurtful that we don't even have an attempt of trying to have some sense of normally because we have done so well with the pandemic. One of your boys, Rich Fetter, was on the show, who I haven't published yet, and I'm not sure if it'll be published by the time of this being published. 
but he did tell me a, a moment that you guys shared when everyone found out about the pandemic. And, you know, talking about the COVID-19 global pandemic, how are you holding up with it? How's your family doing with it? And when was the moment that you took it real serious? And if you were in the midst of a game, just describe that moment. That's uh, funny that you asked that because that really was truthfully the moment that I did take this seriously. On March 10th, I worked a game at the MAC tournament. So that would believe was a Tuesday. And we, we, we even heard rumblings of Corona and COVID cases on on the international level. And it, it was starting to come, come to the news and the media. And that was on the 10th. And I was due to work the table. I sat the table on March 12th. Well, March 12th was the day after, I believe it was Rudy Gobert mm-hmm. on the 11th came down with, with the COVID. So a bunch of officials that were in town, including myself, were out to dinner. And we all kind of got the alert on our phone at the same time because, of course, you know, basketball officials have basketball alerts and hooked up to NBA and NCAA. And we kind of sat there and, like, we were like, oh, wow. You know, we went from, you know, we went from talking about it to now, like, this is real. They were, I think they pulled them off the court and the, and the NBA was canceling their season or postponing their season indefinitely. So between, that was, I don't know, maybe eight o'clock at night. Between that time, we wound up getting an email who, from our, from our, one of our supervisors who was actually out with us dinner. So it kind of like stuck, stuck us all. Like we didn't know what was going to go on. So they wound up telling us that there would be no fans. So I was due to sit the, I believe it was a 10 o'clock and a 12 o'clock game or, or something something along those lines. And there was no fans. There was no spectators. Just a real eerie feeling. We uh, we did the first game and it was it was silent. I'll never forget it, honestly. And being at the table, I was sitting next to the gentleman who works for DV Sport. And DV Sport, you know, they're a replay system that does leagues all across the country. And he was reading off the tournaments that were getting canceled as we were sitting there. And it was, you know, the ACC men's tournament and the, and the Big East men's tournament and the Big East women's tournament. And I was like, this does not sound good. So we wound up finishing the first game and we never even started the second game. The uh, commissioner of the MAC came and told us, our supervisor, that they were, they were canceling the tournament. And at that point, it was just my focus on for my family. My wife was eight months pregnant at the time. And I had a, my daughter who's now, who just turned two. So my really focus was on just getting home to my family and make sure my family was safe. And I'll never forget my wife called me and she's like, you know, you might want to go grocery shopping, just stock up because it seems like it's getting bad. And from that day, that was probably the last day that life was semi-normal, maybe getting the coffee on the way to that game. And then since then, it's just been what we've all been living through. And that's definitely the day that I was like, this is a real thing. And this is something that we need to take serious. That's amazing that you had a kid in the midst of all of these things. And, and you think about the ripple effects of how everything has changed. And, you know, I, I think in that particular moment, especially all of us who were probably in the midst of playoff assignments, I think sometimes you look intrinsically of like, oh, why they take me off this game or what's going to happen to my assignment because I was available that day. And then, you know, you start to realize the gravity and the magnitude of what was happening. And even for me, I was going to transition to my baseball season and my lacrosse season and you know, I think everything just kind of went into the back burner. At that moment in time, when everything got canceled, did you realize in your heart of hearts that you probably weren't going to ref for a very long time? Yeah, I did. Because I knew at that point, you know, we're, we're a little bit late in the season already. We're in conference tournaments. So at that point, 
you know, you're you're going day by day. So your last playoff assignment, if you're fortunate enough to get one, is, is probably your last assignment, at least assigned for that time. So once I saw this was going on with the NBA and everything got canceled, you go from from not being essentially around and home for the last five months to life basically stopping around you. And I know I'm not the only one. We've all went through it, but what a surreal feeling where I think the next morning I woke up with my wife and my daughter and we looked at each other like, this is, this is strange because we haven't, this hasn't happened in a while. Either I was at my, my day job or away at basketball games. And it's just, we looked at each other like, listen, we, we have a responsibility for my daughter and, and my, my unborn son at the time. And it was just, how could we stay safe and really just kind of, kind of wait out what was going on. But it was, it was a truly surreal time. Mm. Now, two things that I did want to focus on within those, that, that interim of all those experiences. First of all, congratulations on the, the birth of your son. Thank I think you. by the time that he was born, I think it was already normal that you had to wear a mask, that you had to have all of these social distance parameters and, and procedures that were done. And then on top of that, you're a school teacher by day. Um, that had to be different of just doing that virtual learning. So, you know, just talk about the learning curve of having your class all of a sudden getting upended and then being virtual. And then also the experience of having a child being born in the midst of a pandemic. Yeah, it was, it was certainly interesting. And those two kind of do go hand in hand because, you know, I like to say the silver lining of this whole thing was that I was able to be there for, for my wife and my daughter when, you know, she was late in her pregnancy. And then I was able to be there for the birth of my son. But once he was born, I had, I had to leave, which not the, the, the position that we wanted to be in, but we, we totally understood. And, you know, my wife basically gave birth with a, uh, a mask on and was in the hospital the entire day with a mask on and there was no visitors. So just a real, just a real weird and eerie feeling. Luckily everybody's healthy and everybody was fine. So that's obviously the most important thing. And then I was due to take a parental leave because my son was being born. And I wound up rescinding that because, you know, I just felt that if I was home, that it would be the right thing to do to, to try to be there for my students as best as I can. I'm, I'm a phys ed teacher by day, so phys ed virtual is, is challenging. Me and my coworkers tried to get pretty creative with posting workouts or, or nutrition logs, and participation was okay for what it was. We, we understood that a lot, of, a lot of kids didn't have technology or there was multiple siblings or there was situations at home where they were dealing with COVID. So we didn't really have too high of expectations. So I think we it may have surpassed our expectations, which was a good thing, but it was definitely just a, a really weird, a weird time. And I know I can speak for a lot of educators and anybody who went from their office job or whatever they were doing to kind of working from home. It's definitely a transition period and it takes a little bit to get used to for sure, but we, we made the best of it. And hopefully all the, all the steps that we took to, to do those things, keep kept everybody safe. Mm. We did mention off air how, you're about to, you're on the cusp of going back to school. And, you know, I think it's the right thing to do only because, well, I don't know if it's the right thing to do, but I will say that, you know, since our infection rate is so low, I think we're just like in a, in a very, we're like in purgatory because damned if you do, damned if you don't, because people will say, well, the infection rate's so low, we have to do something. And at the same time, the sky is falling everywhere else and you see what's happening in school. So um, I know we mentioned off air about, you know, what's going on with you. What do you think you've learned about yourself as a teacher doing the virtual thing? And, you know, how do you think it's going to help you moving forward, going back into the classroom? Yeah. I mean, it definitely helped me. Technology 
you can look what you're doing with your, even with your website and your podcast. Technology is just the way of the world now. It's present in basketball. It's present in everything we do. You know, we're always we're always connected. The days of saying, you know, oh, I didn't I didn't get that email or the text or you know, those days are over. We we're very reliant on technology. We have our calendars in, in our phones, and we have you know our, our to do list in our phones. So I think that it, it helped us get really creative. And I think that it, the shocking thing was that me and my me and my coworker said that some kids aren't necessarily you know athletes or they're not necessarily overly enthusiastic about phys ed and we we got some more participation from those types of kids who you know were interested in the technology aspect of physical education more than sometimes we would get in the class and then we also had kids who they just wanted to reach out to us they really could care less about the lesson they just wanted to you know chat with us and say hi and you know and and if that that helped them get through their day and if that made them feel good that we you know just just sent a quick you know hope your family's okay then you know what that that was fine because at this, at that time and and what what everybody was going through, I think you know just safety and health was the most important. Not not saying education wasn't, but I think technology is just a great way to keep us all connected. I mean, even through this whole this whole COVID and this whole pandemic, you find yourself reaching out to people that maybe you haven't spoke to in a while just because you know you check me out and check them, make sure they're they're okay or the family's okay. Just like a quick text or email, whatever it may be. So as far as technology, it, it's, I think a lot of the things that we've done over this COVID will continue. And I think we may have learned something about ourselves from maybe a bad situation. Absolutely. And technology obviously has helped me. And this pandemic has helped me because I have the ability to speak to people that normally would be unavailable, such as yourself. And, you know, you did mention that you are a teacher, you're a physical education teacher. And of course, you're an official which means that you have a deep affinity for sports. And we want to get into how you got that affinity. So having said that, uh, where did you grow up? What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school, high school, and then college? Okay, so I grew up, uh, I lived in Brooklyn until I was about 12. And then I moved to Staten Island where I've spent, you know, a large portion of my life until I got married. And then now I'm in uh, Central Jersey. Growing up, the time I can remember, I was just, absolutely obsessed with sports. Any, you know, any sport we played, we were either in the street or the backyard. And my parents always tell the story that, you know, I was, I was on my driveway. I was probably like 14 months old and I had, I was, I had a whistle ball bat and I was, I was hitting the ball across the street that somebody stopped their car and was like, who just hit that ball? And they pointed to me and, and the person was just in shock that this little, this little kid was able to hit the ball like that. And I don't know if it was just a, freak thing or what it may be, but I, I, I can't remember any point in my life where sports wasn't a huge part. Um, I actually played baseball and hockey for most of my life growing up. I never, I played one organized basketball game in my entire life because my, my best friend, my best man at my wedding needed a guy last minute. And I, you know, I played in the street. I was okay, but basketball was not my main sport. And I remember it was a loose ball and I, and I kind of did like a baseball slide and his father was the coach. His father was the coach. And he looked at me and he's like, I know you didn't mean to, but you're going to, you're going to really hurt somebody. And I said, I was just going for the ball. He's like, that's not how we go for the ball in basketball. I said, all right, point well taken. So that was my first and last basketball game. I played baseball and hockey all throughout my life through high school. I started getting some letters and interest in college from for, for baseball. And I, I had a few offers, but, you know, I tried to think level-headed, and I knew that I was not going to be a major league baseball player. So 
I wound up going to Montclair State University, which is a Division three program, very good baseball team. So I contacted the coach. I reached out and said, you know, this is, I played for a top of high school, blah, blah, blah. One thing led to the other. I went to an open uh, walk-on tryout. So he said, he brought me into the office. He's like, listen, he's like, we we already have our team for this year, but, you know, we clearly think that you you belong to play this team, so we're going to redshirt you this year. I said, that's no problem. I said, I, I agree. I was At that time, I wasn't sure if I was going to go for my master, so I would keep the year of eligibility and play the next four years. Over that time, it's kind of when I fell in love with officiating, and that's when I had to make a decision whether it was going to be I was going to devote my time to playing college baseball or I was going to focus more on what at the time was umpiring and basketball. And obviously I chose the officiating aspect of it and I don't regret the decision whatsoever. Mm. So you initially started with umpiring. Is that, is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Yeah, my father was very heavily involved and still is in umpiring. Okay. So let's, let's go back to that. You, you did mention that your father was an umpire and that's had to be weird because I, you know, I think about my son and like he sees me making podcasts and he thinks that's normal. Making a website, that's normal. Daddy writing, that's normal. Him, me getting yelled at at 10 o'clock at adult league, that's normal to him. And that must have been a normal thing to just watch your father be an umpire. With that duality, what was your perception of officials growing up, aside from your father being one? And, of course, just watching your father grow up as well. That is, yeah, well, how your son feels is exactly how I felt. It was my father was just involved in sports and he umpired from the time I could, from my, I remember that I remember my father umpiring and I used to, I could vividly remember going and sitting in the dugout of one of the teams while my dad umpired because I was just, I just love sports and I just love to go with him. And I remember them just being so crazy. It was men's softball or whatever it is. And they were just yelling and this and that. And my dad was just calm, cool and collected. And after the game, they would just talk to him and talk to me and they'd ask me if they want, if I want to hit a ball. I couldn't believe that 15 minutes ago, they're screaming and probably <laughs> using words that I, I can't use in this podcast. And, and now they're, they're like friends. And I used to say to my dad, like, these guys, you like these guys? And he's like, listen, it's not personal. He's like, it, it's the game. It's part of the game. They're actually nice guys. And that's something that I, that I, that I truly probably learned in an early age. And it's probably a good, good lesson for officiating that it's, Nine times out of ten, it's really not personal. And I remember from a time we we were at Ian that I believe we got chased. We had my my father actually got chased <laughs> by by a crazy a crazy player, and I, I couldn't I just couldn't believe it. And obviously he's crazy because he's with probably his eight year old son at the time. And I my you know my mother's like ah, you're gonna do that you're gonna do that league anymore. And you know what the next week the guy wound up probably getting suspended and the whole team apologized that they couldn't believe he did that. And, you know, it was uncalled for. It just showed that, you know, you know, people actually cared about who you were as a person and not just as an official, because so many times we, we, we forget that coaches are people and officials are people. And, you know, we try to be good people on and off the, off the field or the court or whatever it may be. And yeah, so honestly, I, from the time I was can remember, I was always around basically officiating. Mm. Now, I think when you first do it, right, and, and you look, you watch your father all the time, it's, it's completely normalized to you. And, and I can harken back to just being in the back of the car of my parents and just going like, man, I can't wait till I can drive. I can't wait till I'm tall enough to even just reach the pedal and then do it. And then, you know, when you take your driver's test and, and you're, you know, you're with somebody, an instructor, you're like, oh, this is not <laughs> this is not nearly what I thought driving would be like. You're really behind the wheel and you really have to press the brake. So, 
you know, just from your perception of watching your father and then ultimately being in the backstop, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Right behind plate. Was it a lot different from what you thought it would be? It, it was, it was absolutely different because, you know, it's like the Monday morning quarterback, you know, it's, it's easy to do, you know, every, everybody's a critic until you actually do it. And it was, I felt that I, I, I had almost a head start because I was just around it so much. And even, even at such a young age, when I went to the, my dad games, I wasn't really watching the game. I was really watching my dad umpire. So it, it was not that it was second nature, but I felt like I maybe got, I, I feel like I, I caught on to things a little bit quicker, but Needless to say, when I was, I, I remember vividly my first game when I was behind the plate and I was like, this is, I think it took three pitches and I was like, this is not easy. And, you know, and <laughs> I, you know, I'm now I'm, I'm opening probably like a eight year old game and there's one umpire. And I remember, I think the first kid to hit the ball, I forgot. I was like, oh my God, I have to call the guy out of first too. Cause I was so focused on calling balls and strikes that now oh, I, have to, I forgot I have to call this guy out of safe. And I think the kid was safe by 10 feet and it took me. 15 seconds to realize he was safe. So yeah, it's definitely, it definitely puts, puts in a different lens for sure. You know, it's, it's something that it's not for everybody. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> you just definitely had, not for everybody. you just tapped into something that was very interesting when, when you talk about just how you have to carry so many different types of information in your mind, because you were really focused on just getting those strike calls correct. And, you know, when you think about the course of the game, you don't really call that many strikes, even on top of when people, um, swing and miss that you don't, you're not really calling, you're really calling it when they freeze. And then you have to think you have to memorize like all of these different scenarios that are happening. And the ultimate form to me is basketball. The amount of multitasking of different parts of, of your mind that you have to do. How did you end up taking up basketball? So, and me and my father still laugh about this to this day. So when I started umpiring, play baseball my whole life, when I started umpiring, I wanted to do the home plate every single game. And I, and I remember in my living room, my dad was doing my schedule. I think I was 15 or 16 years old. And, you know, he went through the game. And luckily, my father was the assigner. So it, I was able to get some work. And I remember him saying, plate, base. And I, would, and I would get so mad. I don't want to do the bases. It's boring. I don't want to stand the bases. And that's when I started to do a little bit of uh, when he put me with two people. Sometimes it was only me. So I had no choice but to do the plate. And he was like, I'm telling you. You're going to need to do the bases sometimes. You're going to need to do the bases sometimes. And I, I was like, no, just put me on the plate. I'm bored. A couple months into the season when, you know, you get hit in the ankles with seven, eight-year-old pitching, I was like, you know what? My dad was right. I need to go on the bases a little bit. I'm getting burnt out behind the home plate. Or, you know, when it's a time limit game and it starts 10 minutes before the time limit and then the last inning goes, you know, 90 minutes and it's 100 degrees outside. So I kind of – I was kind of getting burnt out in an early age. And I, and I, and I still umpired. And I did it for years after that. But I always felt that I was getting just bored. I would be doing the plate or I'd be doing the bases. And because baseball is so, so much downtime that I was like, I, I need something with a little more, a little more excitement. So the first thing I actually got into was hockey. I got certified to referee USA Hockey. And I really enjoyed it. It's just the problem was I was living in San Island and it wasn't very popular. So there was one rink that had a few games on the weekend and it wasn't really, it wasn't really giving me so much opportunity because, you know, if that one team was on the road or they were on a, on a tournament, there were, there was no games. So I wound up getting certified. I, I enjoyed it, but it just wound up not being, I wasn't, I wasn't really profiting and it wasn't, I wasn't being able to work as much, many games as I want. So I think I saw on the paper that there was a CYO class being given 
by uh, a man named Bill Hughes. God rest his soul. But what a great man. And I, I went up taking the CYO class, and there was just tons of games from third grade to you know high school. And that's really how I got myself started with, with officiating basketball. And once I, once I started, I was completely hooked. I mean, I, I was going from one end of Staten Island to the other end of Staten Island doing sometimes six, nine games in a day. And I really didn't care. I mean, the money was great, but I, I really enjoyed it. And I, and I, I felt like, you know, I finally found something where I was so engaged and, and I really enjoyed every aspect of the game. And that, that was from not playing, playing basketball. I mean, I had, I had knowledge of it and I studied from the, from the class, but I just, I just, I was hooked from day one, really. Mm. So, you know, I, I think that's a real weird combination. There is a couple of people like us that do baseball and basketball, and it's weird to just think about it because I did I did what you did in reverse. I, I'm a basketball player, and I've never played baseball. And for me, my perception of it is watching bad Mets games and bad Yankee games growing up. And then, of course, in high school, the Yankees were winning the World Series every single year. So, you know, my perception of baseball was always at the pro level. So when I started doing you know, middle school games, I was like, oh, man, these kids can't catch. These kids can't throw. These kids can't bat. So it was like a real rude awakening for me. And, you know, I really thought that it took my basketball game to the next level because of patience. So, you know, having said that, how do you think baseball helps basketball? And how do you think baseball hurts basketball if there was a thing? How do I think baseball helps basketball? Yeah, I think I think my time doing baseball really helped me with managing coaches because even though it's, it's a different type of interaction where it's usually in baseball, it's kind of like one thing happens and it sets a coach off. You know, you miss a, you miss a, a strike three and the next year it's a double and now he's on you for the next four innings. And I think just communicating with coaches and trying to gain their trust back because usually when they, when they, when they're upset, it's because of something that happened, and you, you now you're now you're really trying to gain their trust back, as opposed to in basketball where things happen very quick. So you know you may miss a play, and then two minutes later another play happens, and you know some coaches hold on to it, some coaches let it go. But I think in baseball, that one play that you miss, and now the kid gets a bases clearing double, that might be the only that might be the only hit of the whole game. So I think that just just taking it one play at a time and realizing that, you know, you're, we're going to miss plays and hopefully they're not the one that, that decides the game, but just dealing with, with coaches. Because when I was doing baseball, I, I was umpiring high school baseball and I was maybe two years out of high school. Wow. So a lot of these, a lot of these coaches, even though they knew me because I played, it was almost that they, they thought they had, you know, uh, a longer leash because they knew who I was and they knew who my father was. And I had, and I had a, try to kind of learn the fine line between being friendly and being professional. And I think that's, that's helped me a lot in basketball where a lot of these coaches are, you know, they're coaching, that's their job, that's their livelihood. And I think that, you know, I, I try to talk to them and speak to them in a, in a manner where it's not condescending and, it, and it's professional, but you know, that I'm really trying to do the best that I can. And I know they're trying to win the game. And, you know, if we can come to a common ground between the two of us, then it, it goes a long way and them trusting you. And then, Ultimately, if they trust you, then they respect your your decisions, and they respect your authority, and they, they kind of they kind of let you do your job, and you let them do their job. And, and I know as an official, I think those are those are all the all the aspects we like in all of our games. They don't always happen, but the majority of them 
trust you and, and you, and you, and you respect them. You can help you. It can help you a lot in, in really any, any sport you're doing. Mm. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's really sad because I, I think about when I watch like the NHL playoffs, I'm like, man, that is the, probably the purest form of officiating. If you, first of all, you got to be an elite skater, which I'm not. And how involved they are. First of all, you got to be just on edge because the puck might be anywhere. And the fact that they go in and out of the boards, they break up fights. Like I find it amazing. That's something that I wish if I think I would trade everything that I do to just ref hockey because it, it just looks so crazy to me. But, you know, back to you with basketball, you've gotten to the highest levels of college basketball on the women's side. Just talk about when you start. This is obviously a, a moot point to me because I think that if you grew up with somebody that, you know, that your father was an official, of course you always took it serious. But when was that moment that you, you know, you really took it real serious and you wanted to have a real go to go as far as you can go? A funny story is kind of how I got started. And I guess kind of how I did start taking it serious. A woman by the name of Chris Kelly, who's, I believe she's still assigned um, sometime in high school, uh, PSAL. She's, you know, a dear friend and, and honestly somebody who got me started in this in this whole business. So I took the high school test and I'll never forget I was doing at the time some men's league at St. John's University. They used to have a men's league and I took the high school test and I passed and I knew there was some stipulations where if you took the test you couldn't start until like the next year and I don't know if they've since changed that but you know so I took the test in whatever it was October and I think you weren't able to start until like January 1 of the calendar year. So to make a long story short, I believe it was like early December and I was leaving a game at St. John's and I get a call from this number on my phone and it wasn't, it wasn't Chris Kelly's cell phone or, or if it was, I didn't have her number on my phone at the time because I was on the assumption I wasn't really getting any games. So she's like, Scott, hi, this is Chris Kelly. I said, oh, how you doing, Chris? You know, how are you? I need you to do a game tomorrow. So I'm like, okay. And, and I'm not going to say, well, am I supposed to be doing this game? I, I, I have nobody. I need you. It's an emergency. It's at, I believe it was Pace High School, which is in, in lower Manhattan. It's, it's a varsity game. So I'm like, oh my God. I've never refed a high school game in my life, now let alone a varsity game. And it's probably nine, eight or nine o'clock. And the game is, I have work tomorrow. And then I have to go right to the city. I don't know where the school is. I don't know where to park. So of course I say, absolutely, I'll be there. And I hang up the phone. Well, to make a long story short, I do the game. The game was fine. It was not the highest level varsity game. So I was able to handle myself. I had a pretty good partner. So the next day I get an email that <laughs> I've been terminated from the New York city, uh, high school girls board because I wasn't supposed to work that game. So I'm like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. I'm basically getting fired before I even had, a, before I even really did anything. Mm. So I'm like, Oh, this is going to be a great phone call to the signer. So I call Chris and I'm like, hi, Chris, this is, this is what happened. So, Needless to say, she wasn't happy. She didn't have anybody, and it was, it was an emergency. So to make a long story short, I wasn't able to receive games for a while. And Chris said, you know what? You you did the right thing. I called you. I gave you the game. I, I'll I'll smooth things out for you. And from that from that day on, it was almost like a bad thing sparked a relationship between me and Chris. And she, you know, she really made sure that she gave me assignments when I was able to work, and I, they, they cleared up the – my firing and it really brought us together. And since that, she was the one who pushed me to go to the college camps. And that's kind of where I started taking it seriously. I think I left high school for about two seasons and she was like, you know, you, you know, you're in pretty good shape. You, you look good. You know, 
your calls are pretty good. You ever think about, you know, doing college? And I went to uh, the Garden State Board Camp, which is for the NJAC, and I went to the Northeast 10 for Joanne Aldrich as a teaching camp, which is Hoop Mountain. So I wasn't going, and I still don't go to camps to get hired unless it's just a trial camp. But, you know, I was just going to learn, and I had very limited, if any, three-person experience. I probably was on the court maybe once or twice for like a small camp that they used to run in uh, Staten Island for three person, but I really didn't know what to do. And I got, I, I got, I looked apart. I, I don't know. I, I hated when they called timeout because I didn't even know where to stand. I used to hate when the coaches called timeout because I didn't know where to stand. I just like went somewhere on the court and I looked at my partners and they give me the thumbs up. But uh, I wound up getting, getting a contract. And, you know, that's kind of when I was like, you know what? This is this is pretty cool. Like I, I I got lucky. I maybe I impressed somebody, and since then I really haven't looked back. And I owe it to the people who got me started. And I I, I never I never forget where I came from for sure. Mm. And of course, you mentioned your father, and of course, Chris Kelly, who is the uh, Manhattan and Staten Island assigner for the PSAL in New York right. City. Um, just talk about other mentors that you have, what they've done for your career, and how do you think they've shaped the way you've helped people after you. Oh, uh, well, the, the, the actually, so two of my mentors, or believe it or not, the two people who who taught the high school class when I took it, they're both from Staten Island, Pat the 40, which I'm sure a, a lot of your officials know, and Pete Capone, he's since retired and moved to Florida, but they were, they were actually the teachers of my high school class, and since they taught that class, I have been, you know, they're two of my closest friends. They just really looked out for me and made sure that anything I need, whether it was how to get to a school or, or where to, where to buy my ref stuff or, you know, if I needed anything or who, who to call if I was in this area and I, and I didn't know where, where to park. And just from, from, from that class, we've, we've become and still are great friends and they are, I consider them, you know, two of my, my biggest mentors. And since I've been doing, you know, division one, I, I look for, uh, for whoever, whoever, whoever's available to help. And, you know, Joe Bastilli being a Staten Island guy and, Brian Burnett, they're, they're two guys that really kind of always looked out for me and helped me out. And, you know, they're busy in their own regard, so it, it's hard during the season, but they're always there, you know, if I have a text or an email or just a, just a shout-out to see how to get somewhere or, or what to do because those, those are two guys that have kind of, kind of been everywhere. And, and I guess Joe with the, with the Staten Island and Jersey ties, it's, it's just – it's always good to have good mentors as far, as far as basketball, but I think they're all awesome people, which is what really makes – which really makes it a great relationship with all of them. Mm. I think when you start leaning on your experience, people start looking to you as a mentor. And I'm certain that you have a whole bunch of people that you help. And, you know, that goes without saying all of our peers that are in the game. And it's always that connection, that connectiveness within the officiating community that makes it something that's really special. The, uh, the brotherhood and sisterhood that officiating brings to the whole community. If you do, do you have any successful mentees that you consider that you have? And what do you think you've learned just being a respected mentor? Well, so I, I obviously am heavily involved with Magbo. You know, I helped them out with their camps. And this year we did an online camp and their, and their conference call. So, you know, I really try to reach out to, to as many people as I can because, I, you know, I, I know how, how vital that it was to have good guidance and just, just somebody to talk to, especially when you're starting off in your career. And, you know, the people that, that really helped me are the people from my hometown. So I kind of, you know, you always, I always say you never forget where you came from. And I have a couple people, you know, Chris Bruno, Jen Cordero, they're kind of new on the scene. And I just I just always try to look out for them because I think that uh, being from the same area doesn't necessarily mean that 
you know, you're going to be the best official, but I think it just kind of, kind of brings us all together. And like we said, it's, it's busy during the season, but I wish I could get to more of the games, but you know, if they ever have a clip or, or send in a play or just, you know, a question or whatever I could be there to help. And, and, and I think that just that camaraderie is, it makes those lonely drives home a lot better when you have somebody to talk to, that's for sure. So this year has been really weird because, of course, Magbo was supposed to have their camp uh, early May. And, of course, that didn't happen because of the pandemic. And then we all pivoted to all of these virtual camp experiences. Just talk about summer 2020 of your experience with these virtual camps. And how much do you think that it's going to make such an impression that there's going to be, I guess, systemic change for, you know, referees moving forward with all of the virtual things that have been going on now? Yeah, I mean, like we said before, we technology is the way of the world. And, you know, Magbo, I, I think they do a, a great job, not just because I'm involved, but I really think that, that they have a great a great purpose and a, and a great kind of groundwork for, for anybody starting off in officiating. And Terry Donahue and Chris and, and Jim Grillo and Carl and, you know, Joe, they, they, they kind of threw the idea together that, we, you know, well, what are we going to do now? Because we, we were supposed to do the in-person camp and we, and we kind of did pivot to the virtual camp. And, it was, it was really just a great success. We actually did a virtual camp and then we did a couple other sessions. Um, I know they had some, some pretty big, uh, collegiate signers, you know, Debbie Williamson, I believe Patty Brodick was on there. Uh, they had Penny Davis and the, the participation, whether it was because people were home and they were just itching for basketball. But I think it was something that, like we said before, you turn a, a negative into a positive. And I think it, it's going to last. I think that we are eventually going to go back to camps where you have to, you know, be on the court because there's nothing replace, nothing can replace being on the court. But I think the virtual aspect of camp is, is here to stay. I'm sure that it's very, very cost effective to run a camp virtually, you know, a day of instead of classroom session from eight to one in, in a classroom when you can do it online. And I, I think that especially the higher levels where, you know, people are so spread out. It's definitely an effective, effective tool that I, I think is going to be used. I don't know if it's going to be used to the extent that it was this, this summer, just because we had no other options, but I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon for sure. I think it's here to stay. Yeah. I, I don't think so either. And I'm interested to see how they roll it out. And of course you can't really replace physical camps, but you know, interpretation meetings can be virtual, I think. And I think it's really good too is, you know, people that are on the road, somebody like Joe Vasily, if you can get him to have a certain piece when he's away, I think that's a lot more beneficial and it'll reach a lot more people within the officiating community. You know, you do have experience officiating hockey and, of course, baseball and basketball. If you could officiate another sport, what would it be and why? I don't think it would be football because it's too cold and it's it's only once a week or twice a week. You know, I can officiate another sport. You know, what always fascinates me is lacrosse. And I think it's such a growing game. And I, and I'm, and I find myself, you know, sometimes it's on and, and, and I'm just watching. I'm like, this game, I don't understand it at all. <laughs> but I think it has a little, I think it has a little bit to do with hockey and a little bit to do with maybe a little bit of basketball. And I, I know that the referees kind of box them in. So that's, that's, that's kind of familiar with hockey and basketball. And I just think that it's such a growing game that if I was the referee on the sport, that would probably be the one to get into because obviously when you officiate, you want to be active and you want to actually be able to work. And mm. I think that the opportunity is endless because now there's so many women's teams and men's teams. And there's, you know, in my area, there's club lacrosse. And I, you know, I drive by the field on a Saturday and there's 10 lacrosse fields in a row. I mean, 
to Staten Island, we probably got lacrosse when I was graduating college. I don't even think we had lacrosse when I was in high school. So it's just a growing game, and it's it's, it's fascinating. I, I I wish I knew more about it. Maybe I, I will learn about it. I don't know if I'm going to have time to officiate it at this point, but that would definitely be one that would that would interest me for sure. Mm. You, well, I'll tell you how I got interested. One time, it was like the bottom of the second of my baseball game, and I remember uh, there was a lacrosse game that was happening adjacent on the other field. And they had their pregame, and it was like 14 minutes left on on the clock before the game was going to get started. I think I was at the top of the sixth, and of course, in high school, it's uh, seven innings. By the time I was at the top of the sixth, the officials were walking to their car, and they were all laughing uh-huh. at me like, it's the wrong sport, buddy. And I was like, man, yeah. I, I think I'm doing the wrong thing out here. <laughs> I, think, I, I, I remember that too when I, when I used to umpire high school baseball, and I told my and I you know I joke around with my dad you know now that I'm I'm no longer umpiring I'm like dad you got to rest some point in the clock you need a clock <laughs> sometimes sometimes when it's when it's cold or, or or the game is is going south you know at least at least you have the clock and baseball unfortunately you going and I know a lot of those games are high school untimed and I, I don't blame you for that feeling put it that way yeah hundred percent and I was also sad that. You know, I didn't even get an opportunity because, you know, baseball is like a little sliver of time. I don't do any summer ball. And, you know, I always look forward for April, May and June for me to do baseball because it's like a respite. And this would have been my first year doing girls lacrosse. But back to you, after everything you said, what do you think are the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as a basketball official? I would say patience. I would say patience, even though I was fortunate enough to kind of move move pretty quick. I think just being patient and waiting for your opportunity. I remember uh, some people, some veteran officials saying, you know, it's better to be too late than too early because if you get to a situation where, you know, you can't handle it, it's hard. You, you can come back from it, but it, but it's really hard. And it may not be hard for anybody else, but it's hard for yourself because, you know, nobody wants to fail and nobody, you know, you, we look forward to these opportunities. So I think just being patient and knowing that, you know, the people who are making the decisions and oh, what games to put me on and, and what conferences to hire me in or that they, they had my best interest because a, they have a job and, and they really, they wanted to see me succeed. And I, I think that a lot of times, you know, younger officials, they watch, you know, Duke North Carolina and, and they want to do that game next year. And, and, and of course we all in a sense want to do that big game where, you know, it's a packed crowd. But I think that if you're, if you're just patient and let the process run its course, it's not cliche. It's, it's actually just, the right attitude and the right mindset you need to have because it's about longevity. I mean, if you have one great year and then you, and then you kind of burn yourself out, you know, I, I know that I'm in it for the long haul. And I think that my, my core group of friends and my, you know, some of my best friends from officiating, we all, we all, you know, we enjoy this and this is, this is a big part of our life. So I think that if you, if you're just patient and, and let, and let everything take care of itself, that you have a definitely a long, a longer shelf life in, in, in officiating for sure. I think a lot of the more officials that have just started out who have aspirations to go to the highest levels of whatever sport that they do, I think they'd be interested to hear how you uh, juggle having a family, also having a full-time job, and being able to um, still officiate at the highest level. How do you do it, and you know, what are the best practices in doing so? I have a good wife, that's for sure. We're on the road a lot, and you know, when, we, you know, when I first started getting in Division One, you know, and... I guess a lonely wife or a lonely partner or, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it may be. It takes a special person to be with an official that's traveling, you know, a lot. 
because it's lonely. And I think that just her seeing how passionate I was about it and how much I enjoyed it, and just you know that I that I was seeing some success in it, it, it I wouldn't have been able to done it, do it without her, honestly. And to this day, now with two kids, it gets even more challenging. And it's it's just you know you have to have your home life. They, it, you need a support system because being 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 gone for so long and season's getting longer and longer because it's not just now the season it's it's camp and it's it's meetings and it's breaking down film and I think that you know if if, if you could be present as best as you can at home when you're home and be present during basketball when you're at basketball that goes for you know that goes a long way I try really especially now with my two kids. And my son, you know, he's, he's young, but my daughter, she's, she's getting older, you know, she's two, but she notices when, when daddy's not home. So when I'm home, I try to be home. And when I'm, you know, when I'm in basketball mode, I try to be a basketball mode. And I think that, you know, my wife and, and my parents and my extended family, they respect that. You know, there's, there's so many things that I have to miss because of basketball, but you know, they, they, they support me and they understand that, you know, this is a job and this is something I'm passionate about. And if, if I could be, you know, the best father and husband and friend to, to people when I'm when I'm home, then it's okay that I miss some things for basketball, and it's just it's not easy. But I think that we let basketball consume us because because it, it is consuming. We we're, we we are obsessed with basketball. We we're obsessed with officiating, and the the better we can do with balancing our family and our, and our friends and not kind of disappearing and just being a basketball world. It, sometimes it's hard, but I think that if we could if we could find a a balance and whatever that balance may be is different for different people. But I think it goes a long way because if, if we, if we totally get fixated on basketball and, and everything about basketball consumes us and we start shutting down the people in our life that care about us, I don't think, I don't think it's going to really be beneficial for our career at all. That's some great advice. And, and while you're saying that I am watching the, uh, the Clippers and Rockets game <laughs> in the background, uh, <laughs> What do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go? And ultimately, where do you want to go as a basketball official? Where do, I mean, where do I want to go is really, I just want to put my best foot forward. I want to make sure that every, every time I step on the floor that I'm representing either my conference supervisor or my signer and, and my crew. And, and honestly, I just want to keep working with, with awesome people. I mean, that's what makes officiating basketball so they're so unique is that you just, every night you're working with different people. And I think that the people we meet and especially being that I travel a little bit more now and just from different parts of the country and long car rides with people who you, you, you don't really know. And by the time you leave, you're, you, you've been in the car with them for 10 hours and you feel like you, you know everything about their life. And it's just the friendships and it's just, just the opportunities to, to do things like that. And if that means getting more games or getting you know higher level games or, or lower level games, whatever it may be, I think just the opportunity to work with different people we all love to work with our friends, but sometimes when you work with these different different people and and people that you don't really know, and you become close to them, it, it's 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 a nice it's a nice thing, and you know they become lifelong friends. Not just they're not just basketball friends. I always say that my friends from basketball aren't aren't my basketball friends. They're they're my friends. They're my friends from basketball because we met through basketball. But if basketball ends tomorrow, they're still gonna be my friends. Mm. Yeah, and and we all are still connected, even though we don't really officiate. We're still. Speaking to each other all the time. Oh, absolutely. If, if you can, describe the most thickest situation that you've ever had in officiating, whether it be basketball, baseball, or hockey. It, it was definitely a sticky situation at the time. We, 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 we turned into a learning experience. So I was doing a Division One game 
I guess it was probably about five years ago. And it was a a one-point game. The, the team that was winning was the visiting team. They were up by one, and there was about six seconds left in the game. So they haven't beat this team at on the road, I think it was 23 years or something, or 25 years. So it was a big upset. They were up by one with six seconds left. So they called timeout, and for some reason, I was not the crew chief, but for some reason, and I and I and I knew the crew chief, and we were we were friendly, and I had a relationship with the, with the, with the other official. We didn't get together. I don't know why. I, I to this day we all don't know why, and we didn't get together. Well, the losing team had the ball, and the 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 team that was up by one had a foul to give. So I was the lead official. The trail inbounds, and the girl. She, she tried to take foul. She tried to commit a take foul. It wasn't, she didn't do a great job on it. She, I guess maybe she didn't want an intentional, whatever it may be. And we all froze. Well, the girl wound up not calling, nobody called a foul. The girl passed the ball and they scored an uncontested bucket to go up by one. So at the time, the coach is going crazy, but now what? There's like one second left in the game. He has to call timeout. He doesn't time. He doesn't have time to really go crazy, but you could see he was visibly upset. So team winds up losing the game by one. Our locker room, unfortunately, was next to the visiting team's locker room. Well, let's just say we got called every name, and he knew. He knew, and and this coach is as legit as they come. He doesn't argue. He's he lets you officiate, and and I remember him screaming, "You guys didn't even get together. You guys didn't even get together." And I was like, "How did?" what kind of coach even notices that we didn't get together, but we didn't get together and we all had a kind of a mental breakdown and we wound up basically costing the team the game. And, you know, I turned that into a definitely a learning situation that, you know, end of game situations or kind of get together quick or at least make eye contact. So we know we're on the same page and, you know, our supervisor spoke to us and life went on, but for a while and we saw the coach actually the next year and I was actually on the game where he, where he was, we had him and I was with one of the partners that was with me that game. So I was like, oh man, this is going to be interesting. So, you know, I went up to him and I, I said, you know, coach, I just want to, you know, I'm not going to mention his name, but I said, I, I want to apologize because you really deserve better than that. I said, and I don't know who was going to win the game, but you deserve better. And he said, you know, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I, I still want you on my games. And I said, well, I appreciate that too. And it was kind of just, just put myself out there. And I don't know if it was the right thing to do, but I just felt like we deserve the game deserved better than that. And it was just, you know, we just lost focus. So now I really try to just, as best as I could, stay laser focused at all times. And, you know, ultimately we don't want to decide the game and we don't want to miss a call. We, we're going to miss calls. But I think that if we focus, we, we, we could definitely limit those. And especially a situation where we, we kind of knew what they were trying to do. And we just, we just had a, a, a mental, a mental lapse. Mm. Yeah, that's a learning experience that I think that you will never forget for the rest of your career. Oh, never forget. <laughs> and I still, I still look at the clip on my phone and I'm like, I don't know what we were looking at, but no, you, I'll never forget it. And, and I'm going to miss plenty of plays and I'm going to miss plenty of, plenty of violations, but it's just something that like, if there, if I'm in a situation like that, I'm always going to remember, I don't want what happened that night. Mm. So definitely a situation, there's definitely a situation worth learning from. Conversely, what is the best moment thus far in your officiating career the best I would have to say it would be the 2008 
18, I believe it was, was the, uh, I wound up going to the um, Division II uh, East Regionals. And I don't know what it was, it just so happened, but basically every official that was there was just, just like a great person. He was either one of one of my close friends or just a great person. And we we really had the best time. And and the way they work it in the regionals is that you kind of work it, you work a game and then it's it's a little bit weird how they do it. They either bring you into a room and they basically like vote you off like survivor or they call you and say you're advancing or if you don't get a phone call, you're not advancing. So it kind of makes it a little bit awkward. But just from like the night we were there, we just went out to dinner and we just you know, we were hanging out and it was just, it was just a great group of people. And I actually wound up advancing to the, the final game. And I worked the final game with my two of my closest friends to this day and actually three of my closest friends. And he was the, one of them was a standby official. And it was at Stonehill University, which is in uh, Massachusetts. And they're a perennial Division Two powerhouse. And it was Monday night. And Monday, they're calling for a blizzard. So I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm a school teacher. I'm already taking off Monday. So now they're probably going to cancel the game. I'll take off Tuesday or they're going to play Wednesday. So they said they're going to play the game, but they're going to cancel school. So when they canceled school, they said that if any kid who went to the game was going to get, I don't know what they were getting gift cards or pizza or whatnot. Well, let's just say that if the arena, which wasn't big held 500 people, there was 1500 people there. We couldn't even we couldn't even walk onto the court. We had to get police escorted because they were basically had their had their toes on the end line, and we know that we weren't going to say anything about moving them back because it just wasn't going to happen. And it was just an awesome atmosphere. The team actually wound up winning the game. It was it was a back and forth game, and you know I got to work with two of my best friends, and I wound up actually advancing to um, the Elite Eight in South Dakota, which was another awesome experience. But I think just that whole like five days of being with officials and talking basketball and, you know, going to dinner and just enjoying our time. And at that point it was, you know, it was all, we're, we're in playoffs. So every day was just, you just enjoy the game and just enjoy the moment because chances are it's going to be our last game. And I think that, I think that that whole experience is something I'll, I'll really never forget. And we, we still, me and my buddy still send each other clips and, and, and my friends that from that game. And we're just like, remember that? That was just, that was just so fun. And it's you know, and my wife's like, you're watching that again on the computer. I can't believe you're watching that again. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll just this is my last time. And then you know, two weeks from now, I'll be watching it again. It was just, it was just, a, it was just a great, it was just a great experience, and just it's something I'll definitely never forget for sure. Mm. The things that fans do just for free pizza, right? It's crazy. No, they'll just yeah. they'll, they'll go through great lengths to get pizza, and and I'm I feel the same way. So, <laughs> yeah, half of them probably never went to a game. That was probably their first game, but they they showed up for, <laughs> for the pizza and gift card or whatever that whatever they were getting that night. It was something though. Officiating has brought so much in your life. I mean, it's given you this opportunity to tell your story, and and you know we thank you for sharing your whole story. And this is probably a great opportunity for you to just. I guess like flashback and think about all the things that you've been through, especially in terms of officiating. It's brought you so many lifelong friends, brought you so close to your father. It sharpened your mind, kept you physically in shape. What does officiating mean to you? What is officiating given to you in your life? Oh man. I honestly, at this, at this point, I mean, I, I was talking to my, my wife cause you know, I, I she knew I was going to be on this call and I, I said, can you imagine our lives without basketball? And she said, not really. And as hard as that is probably for her to say, just 
the friends I've met, the interactions with people, the places that I've, I've been, I would have never been without basketball. You know, I, I, some of the places that, that, I, that I've been, I probably couldn't even find on a map, but you know, I've been there and I, I've experienced and I've ate the, the food there and I met the people and it's just, it's just, I mean, it's, it's just a part of my life and financially it's provided great opportunities for my family. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it is a job and it's, and it's, something we want to do well, but there's definitely, you know, there's definitely a lot of things that I wouldn't be able to do in my life and for my family if it weren't for, for basketball. And that's, that's all fine and good. But I think that the relationships for, for sure are definitely, are definitely the best part. And, you know, my family is friends with other families who are officials. It doesn't just stop at basketball. It just becomes a part of your life. And, you know, like we were saying before that basketball is becoming more of just a a full-time job and all year as opposed to just in the season. It's just, it's just a part of your life more than the game for sure. And, uh, and, and just the friends I met and the places I've been and the, the, the stories and, and the memories. And it's just definitely just a part of my life that I, I can't, I can't imagine not having honestly. Absolutely. And we thank you at referee rant for all your contributions, especially for Magbo and the game of officiating. We, uh, Look forward to your continued success in all of the endeavors you do, especially in the officiating arena. And I also consider you now a friend and hopefully a mentor. And, you know, I look forward to the day that we do a game together. If I don't become this big talk show radio host that ends up having to stop (laughs) officiating. But like I said, I thank you. Any final words you want to say before we part ways? No, I I, I know. I I thank you, Ralph. Because honestly, like I said before, this is, this is a great thing. You know, so many times officials, we see officials, you know, the only time officials on Sports Center is usually when we miss a call. You know? <laughs> Never, nobody's putting an official on Sports Center. We got to play a right, or very rarely, at least. So I think that anything that that promotes officiating, and I know how much hard work you put into this, and how how many hours you do, and I think I think it's just I know I can speak from on behalf of myself and and just you know my my friends and and other officials that I talk to. We really appreciate what you're doing. We enjoy it. I hope to work with you one day, and if not, I'll get a radio show, I'll, I'll subscribe or, <laughs> or whatever it may be. But I'll, I, I will definitely, we will definitely be, be in touch and, and friends one way or another. Absolutely. And those are both good choices. And for Scott Birkins, this is Ralph the Ref. This is The Ramp. We are signing out. Peace.